All right. That's awesome. Congratulations to Cy. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 139. Psalms 139. Uh, tomorrow we celebrate Dr. King's uh, birthday, his legacy, the gift that he has been to this country, to this world, to the church. And in that spirit, uh, next Saturday, we have a gospel and racial reconciliation gathering at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. And really, our, our value, it flows out of our, our second M, that we are a multiracial community bridging racial, cultural, economic, and gender barriers. And ideally, uh, I, I would love to see every new lifer here, ideally, because we're really going to be exploring uh, the centrality of really what the gospel is and what the gospel does for us across cultures and races and ethnicities. And we have uh, folks up here on that screen there that have really spent a lot of time thinking and working and leading through the complexities of racism and racial reconciliation. And this is gonna be a, just a wonderful time for us. You can register downstairs or online. Uh, let us know because there's gonna be food and we just wanna know uh, how much we need to order before Saturday. So we'd love to see you there. Uh, we're focusing uh, today on, uh, this is our, our text in Psalm 139. And uh, last week we focused on intercession, and we started this year talking about uh, cultivating a life with God in prayer. And uh, last week we focused on intercession, that intercession calls us to be uh, aware of the external world because prayer powerfully affects the external world. Uh, this week we're going to be focusing on prayer more as introspection. And so a prayer as intercession last week, prayer more as introspection this week. And intercessory prayer, if it calls us to be aware of our external world, this kind of introspective prayer calls us to be aware of our internal world. And this prayer, I believe, is really the key to transformed relationships, transformed marriage, reconciled communities. It's the key to a life of joy, to a life of peace, to a life of love, to, a, to the living in the way of Jesus, if we truly and humbly live out this passage. And so as we enter into it, I want us to read it together and really pray this psalm together uh, because this psalm is, is rich with just depth and meaning and has the ability to transform our lives today. And so as the community of God here, let's uh, read this and pray this together. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would take these words and that you would uh, use them to change our lives, to deepen us in you, to transform relationships. Lord, may we walk out of this building different than the way we walked in. So speak to us through the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. amen. One of my favorite things I love to do at New Life is to have conversations with many of you after our services, <clears throat> after the 9 o'clock service, the 1030 service, the 1230 service is one of my favorite things to do because I get to hear how God is speaking to you. I get to hear some of your significant challenges. I get to hear the good things you liked about my sermon. I get to hear the things you did not like about my sermon. It's a wonderful time of great conversation. And uh, last week, I had a conversation with a couple of young adults that I took home with me, and I've been thinking about it all week long. Uh, one young adult came up to me and had a question, and uh, this person said, Rich, I, I want to pray. I, I really do want to pray, but I, I just don't. I, I don't make time for it, and when I try to pray, I don't know what to say. Do you have any advice for me? 
And this question was a question that many of us are familiar with. How do we pray? What do we say when we pray? And as I paused for a second, an analogy came up to me that I really had never thought of before. And I thought about it this past week and really reflected on it more. And the analogy had to do with Hallmark cards. Hallmark cards. And I have a feeling that this analogy uh, is going to help you today as it pertains to prayer. One of the reasons we love Hallmark cards is because through them we are able to express uh, the deep uh, feelings and thoughts that we have to another person using the words of another person. And sure, we'll write a little note on the margin. Sure, we'll sign our name. But the work has already been done for us. Our job is to find the right card that expresses what we're feeling, expresses what we're thinking to another person. And when we give this card to a friend, when we give this card to a parent, when we give this card to a lover, they read the words that you didn't write. And they look at you with heartfelt gratitude and say, thank you. You did very little work, but you got all of the credit. And I want to show you how this connects to prayer. Many times in our lives, uh, we don't know how to address God. We don't know what to say to God. We don't know how to articulate what we're thinking and when we're feeling, what we're feeling. And when these moments come, we have the book of Psalms that serve as 150 God hallmark cards for you and I that give expression to what we're thinking and what we're feeling. And when we take those words and attribute them to God and express it to God, God doesn't say, how unoriginal of you. You couldn't come up with something on your own. No, God says, thank you, and he receives our prayers with Thanks. In our text this morning, we have words that were written uh, uh, for us, our benefit, really. And we are to not just receive these words, we are to, uh, these are to become our words. Because these words have the power to change our lives and connect us deeply to God. And in our text today, what I just read, we have one of the most important prayers in the Bible. The book of Psalms is the prayer book of the people of God. And for the formation of our souls, for the formation of our lives, we have to learn how to pray through the book of Psalms. Because the book of Psalms are filled with words of worship to God. But beyond being filled with words of worship to God, the book of Psalms articulates the full range of human emotions. And so the Psalms give language to our anger. The Psalms give language to our fears. The Psalms give language to our rage. The Psalms give language to our anxieties, to our joy, to our hope, and to our worship to God. And so if this is the prayer book of God, these are to become our words. And so we're not just to sing them and read them. We are to embody these words because they give expression to what's happening inside of us. And so in Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms, David begins with these words. He says, Lord, you have searched me and you known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. And David, when he writes these words, David is not filled with grief. David is filled with incredible gratitude that God knows everything about him and still acclaims him as his own. God knows everything about David. He says, you've searched me and you've known me. 
You know my lust. You know my fears. You know the good things, the bad things, the ugly things. You've searched me. You know me. You discern my thoughts from afar, and you still claim me as your own. And so from the very beginning, David is, is, is articulating to us the goodness that God knows us, knows everything about us, and he claims us. And so David begins there, and then David says this, not only does God know us, God knows our whereabouts. And he goes, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, if I make my bed in the grave, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. And these words, when David writes them, he's not thinking about NSA. He's not thinking about surveillance and just stalking God. He's thinking, this is a God who knows my whereabouts. And he claims me at his own. This God is fully present to me in my ups and in my downs. Where can I go from your spirit? Where, from I, where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Then David begins to write these words, words that we are acquainted with, words that we come back to, beautiful words in the Psalms. He says, you form me in my inward parts. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you before I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He says, you've known me before the foundation of the world. As a matter of fact, you are the one who knit me together. You're the one who wove me together. And David is saying, I know I'm not an accident. I know I'm not a mistake. You have woven me together. And this is what God is saying to us. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You are are fearfully and wonderfully made. By the end of Psalm 139, you get the sense that David is keenly aware that God knows everything about him. But although God knows everything about him, David recognizes something that we need to recognize as well this afternoon. He knows that although God knows everything about him, David doesn't know everything about himself. So he needs God to show him what God sees. And so David cries out, search me, O God. And when he says, search me, O God, he's not saying uh, that God doesn't know him. He just said it all. God knows everything about David. This is a a yearning. Lord, search me and show me what you want me to see. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And test my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. What I love about David is David is not content living life unaware of his interior world. What he says is, God, look within me. Show me what I need to see. This is a cry for David to be aware. And most of the time, our prayers are, Lord, show us yourself. Lord, I want to see you, Lord. I want to show me your glory. I want to see you. And we want to pray those prayers. We want to see God. We want to see who God is. But what David also knows is not only should we be praying, Lord, I want to see you, we should also be praying, Lord, I want to see me. And I can't really see me. So search me and show me me. Show me myself. Search me. And in this prayer, David is showing, giving us a a central component to prayer, and it is this. That prayer is not just for revelation of God, but for revelation of ourselves. Prayer is not just for revelation of God. 
prayer is revelation of ourselves. And, and, and this is one of the most important facets of prayer, that, that, that prayer uh, leads to self-revelation. Or, or to say it in this way, a genuine encounter with God leads to a genuine encounter with ourselves. And so every time you see someone have an encounter with God, you immediately see the person has an encounter with themselves. When Isaiah is in the temple and he sees the glory of God, the next thing he says is, woe is me. He got a picture of who God was, and, and now he gets a picture of who he is. Woe is me. Because to have an encounter with God is to also have a genuine encounter with yourself. When Jesus uh, uh, does a miracle before Peter, and Peter looks at him, he goes, get away from me. I'm, I, am, I am a sinful man. And he had a genuine encounter with God, and that genuine encounter with God led to a genuine encounter with himself. Prayer is not just a revelation of God, it's a revelation of ourselves. And so we are invited to pray, search me, God. Know my heart. Test, see and test my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, honestly, this is a prayer that many of us never pray. And as a result of our lack of praying this kind of prayer, many of us are dangerously unaware. And when we are dangerously unaware, we do great harm to ourselves and we do great harm to the people around us. Now, what's fascinating is we are told over and over again to be aware of our outside surroundings, especially in a post-9-11 world. In a post-9-11 world, we are called to be uh, diligent in, in being aware of our outside surroundings, so much so that the MTA came up with a slogan that said, if you see something, say something. And basically, be aware of your outside surroundings because there's danger out there. And if you're not aware of the danger that's out there, it can lead us to have some problems out there. And so we are to be aware. If you see something, say something. But, but just as important as being aware of the dangers out there, David knows that we are to be aware of the dangers, not just out there, but the dangers in here. That there's danger out there, yes, 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 but there's also danger in here. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I want you to consider who's writing this. Because David is not just some Joe Schmo walking around here. David is the king. He has everything going for him. He has all the wealth he could want, all the acclaim, all the respect. On the surface, it seems as David got it going on. David, David, whatever he wants, David can have. But David knows that things could look good on the surface, but be terrible beneath the surface. It's like the Titanic. Many of us have seen this movie. We, we've heard of the ship, the story, and um, it's the first movie to hit the billion-dollar mark. It's a very famous movie, obviously. And really, the Titanic is a great depiction of our lives. Because on the upper deck of the ship, if you recall, we see amazing luxury. We see amazing wealth. But a few days after the ship sailed, the Titanic hit an iceberg. 
And at that point of the movie, we see a terrifying contrast. And the contrast was, on the upper level of the ship, everything looked magnificent. Life was great. The orchestra is playing. People are eating. They're dressed up. Everything looks phenomenal. But on the lower deck of the ship, there was chaos, absolute chaos. And no one decided to go beneath the surface to the lower deck of the ship. And you know how the story goes. Whatever was in the lower deck of the ship didn't just stay in the lower deck of the ship. Well, whatever was happening in the lower deck of the ship began to rise to the surface. So much so that that magnificent structure, that magnificent uh, boat ship that no one could think would ever go down, went down. Because what was happening beneath the surface of the ship, when undealt with, began to deal with the stuff that you could see above the surface of the ship. And really, in many respects, our lives are like the Titanic. And that on the surface, things look fantastic. Things look great. Life is impressive. Everything's to be, everything seems to be going right for us. At least that's what we say on Facebook, that everything's fantastic. Look, I'm on vacation again. It's just like everything seems to be going right for us. But like the ship, many of us, our, our lives just doesn't consist of an upper deck. We have a lower deck as well. And there is a world beneath the surface, and all too often we don't take the time to go to the lower deck of our lives to see what might there be down here that sooner or later is going to affect up here. And so David says, search me, God, and know my heart. Search me and test my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When the, what ends up happening, though, I believe that we just, we do everything we can to avoid ourselves. I actually think much of life is a strategy to avoid looking beneath the surface. Much of our lives is a strategy uh, to avoid looking beneath the surface. This is where workaholism comes in. Many of us are workaholics not because uh, we just like to work. It's, it's, it is subconsciously a strategy to avoid looking beneath the surface because I don't want to look beneath the surface. And we don't look beneath the surface because of, of our pace of life. We're just so busy that there's no time to pray what David prays. But we also don't look beneath the surface because of fear. We are afraid. If I look, what will I find? Isn't this the reason why many of us in this room, we have not made doctor's appointments when we should have made it? 2012? Because for some of us, we say to ourselves, I, I just don't want to hear bad news. I'm afraid what I'm going to hear. And so I'll manage it by myself. But sooner or later, the stuff that we're managing by ourselves begins to overtake our lives. What's happening beneath the surface tends to overtake what's happening above the surface. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, looking within, doing what David teaches us to do here is not easy work. This is hard work. But do you know what's worse? Not looking at all. So David says, search me, O God. Know my heart. 
test my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And David models his prayer for us for the purpose of self-revelation. And there's one reason why David can boldly pray this prayer. David doesn't just sheepishly say, search me, God. I imagine David saying, search me, God. With, with boldness and with confidence. And the reason why David can pray this prayer with boldness and with confidence is because he knows that God doesn't search us to shame us. God searches us to set us free. God doesn't search you to go, you did what? And heap on shame on us. David knows that's not the God that I worship. That's not the God that I serve. The God that I worship and serve is the God who searches me to set me free. And so he had, there's, there's confidence in the love of God. Confidence in the goodness of God. David is not afraid that God is going to use this against him. He knows that unless I confess my, 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 what I can't see before God, I'm going to be stuck. Lord, search me. Because I know when you search me, you set me free. I know when you search me, you liberate me. I know when you search me, you give me a new future that I didn't think was possible. Search me, oh God. And this way, God is like a good therapist. God is like a good counselor. Could you imagine if a counselor, that after you shared your problems, shared your sins, shared your challenges, and you say, Doc, you know, I've been doing this, and I've been involved in this, and this is my struggle, and this is how I've sinned, and this is how someone sinned against me. And this is what I did when I was 16. And this is what happened to me when I was 15. And, and, and the therapist, the counselor says, is there more? And you go, yeah, 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 yeah. When I was 21, I did this. And I'm really ashamed of that. And they go, is there any, is there any more? No, no, no. And I think that's about it. And the therapist takes the glasses off and says, how dare you do all of that? You piece of, f you're a monster to do all of that. I mean, could you imagine being on the rece receiving end of that after you just bore your, you gave your, poured out your soul to this person, and the person said, you monster, how dare you run out of that place after punching the therapist in the face. You, you run out of that place. Be be because the therapist is to create a safe enough space for you. That you can be open and honest, knowing that in my honesty, and I thank God for all the therapists at New Life Fellowship, oh, I can be honest. I trust you're not doing this. I, I, could, I could be honest and know that it's not going to be used against me. It's going to be the, the way of my wholeness, the way towards my liberation, the way towards my, 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 my freedom. And David can say, search me, O God, because David knows something about God. He knows that God is a wonderful counselor. That God does the work of counseling and therapy for us. Where he creates a safe space for us. Where we can be open and vulnerable and honest, knowing that he's not going to use this against me to shame me. But he is going to use this to set me free. He knows something about God. He knows something about his love. He knows something about his goodness, and he rests in that. God, search me. You already know everything about me. Search me and show me. St. Augustine said that a friend, a true friend is someone who knows everything about you and accepts you. And this, this is the God that David reveals to us, the God who knows everything about you, your ups and downs, your fears, your anxieties. 
your sins, your patterns, your history, and he loves you. That God is not out to shame us. God is out to set us free. Isn't this why broken people came to Jesus? Isn't this why the poor and the prostitutes and tax collectors came to Jesus? Because Jesus created a space for them, a safe space for them. And it was in that space that he set them free, a no-shame environment, an environment you can be authentic and, and honest and raw with Jesus. And Jesus would set them free. Isn't this why people came to, isn't this why we love Jesus? That Jesus creates a space for us. And this is, this is how we need to be thinking about Jesus, not projecting onto Jesus what our bad experiences. But he's the, he is the God who creates a space for us where we can say, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Know my anxious thoughts, God. Lead me in the way everlasting. And so David's prayer is to be our prayer. These words are to position us to open ourselves to God so that God can lead us into wholeness, lead us into freedom, or as David says it, lead us in the way everlasting. And I want to show you what this looks like very practically because my, my hope is that you would boldly and courageously begin to pray a prayer like this to God this week because I believe this is the precursor for many of us to our freedom and liberation. And so when we, when we pray, search me, God, we're asking God to show us the things inside of us that are inconsistent with his way of being. And we pray this because we have so many blind spots. We have so many blind spots. And so we need, to God, we need God to show us what we cannot see. Most of the time we pray this prayer, Lord, show me her sins. Show me if there's any offensive way in that person. Show me, show me what they're up to. But we're invited to pray this for ourselves because we have so many blind spots. Some of us say, you know, we say, you know, Rich, I, I'm, I'm not too bad. I'm not a bad person. I, I'm doing okay. And then we pray, search me. And God goes, yeah, yeah, you're okay, but you're not as good as you think you are. There's a lot of blind spots. And so we pray, show me and search me. We're saying, Lord, I know I have a lot of blind spots. David says, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Show me my shortcomings. Show me my errors. Show me my sins. Show me where I have been wrong. And here's why we can pray this. Here's why as followers of Jesus, we can pray this without fear. After the first and second service, some people said, Rich, this is a very difficult prayer to pray. And, and here's why we can pray this without fear. We can pray this without fear because when we ask God to search us, Jesus goes with us. I love what Richard Rohr said. Richard Rohr says, and I don't have it up here, so, so listen closely to these words. He says, many of us avoid the path of self-knowledge because we are afraid of being swallowed up in our own abyss. But Christians have confidence that Christ has lived through all the abysses of human life and that he goes with us when we dare to engage in sincere confrontation with ourselves. Because God loves us unconditionally along with our dark sides. We don't need to dodge ourselves. 
In the light of this love, the pain of self-knowledge can be at the same time the beginning of our healing. I love what he's saying there. We can ask God to search us because when we go into our own abyss, we don't go alone. Christ goes with us. And if there's anything I know about Jesus, Jesus knows how to bring life out of death. He knows how to bring light out of darkness. And so there's no fear when you go into your own abyss, Jesus goes with you. He died for you. He resurrected. If there's anyone who knows how to bring light out of darkness and life out of death, it's Jesus. And so when we say, search me, O God, we're doing it with the very presence of Christ going with us. And so this is what I want to invite you to do. I want to give us all a very simple way to pray this. And I want to do it in the form of really questions to ask God this week. And as we ask these questions before God, we're not doing it in a shame-oriented way where we go, Lord, search me, and then God shows you what he sees, and then you go, I'm a terrible person. I mean, that's not the goal. We, we, we ask God to search us under the fountain of grace, that this is, this is, this is under his grace. So we're not doing it in a shame-oriented way. And, and so what, what I want to offer to you is what I'm calling search me prayers, Search me prayers. In, in Christian tradition, many times we, we call this the prayer of examine, of examination. Search me. And this is what basically I, I want you to hold with you this week. And it might, it might be some adaptation to it. And as I've been thinking this past week, there are about 12 of these prayers that I listed for myself as I was inviting God to search me. But I want to give you five. Five um, prayers to offer to God this week. And maybe there might be one, there might be two that resonates deeply inside of you that God could get beneath the surface of your lives. Lord, search me and show me where I've been wrong. Search me and show me where I've been wrong. David says, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Could you imagine if married couples after a conflict, dating couples, after a, roommates after a conflict, began to pray this to God? Typically when conflict comes, the first thing we're doing is we're blaming, you know? And then after the blame comes, we're holding resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness. Could you imagine after there was a conflict, and this week when you have a conflict, uh, you, you will have a conflict this week, uh, someone's going to steal your stapler, someone's going to do something that's going to trigger you, uh, you know, there's going to be some conflict. And if not this week, wait another week. You know, there's something's going to happen. And you're going to be really tempted to be bitter and just blame. But, but imagine if two people in your conflict said, we're going to pray and we're going to ask God, Lord, search me. And show me where I've been wrong. Could you imagine the transformation that would take place in relationships? When with humility we begin to ask God, Lord, don't just show me what she did wrong. We, yeah, we're good for that. Show me what I did wrong. Search me and show me where I've been wrong. Another prayer might be, Lord, search me and show me why I'm still holding on to unforgiveness. For many of us, we walk with and we hold on to things for five years, for 10 years, for 15 years. And when we say, search me, we're saying, Lord, get beneath the surface. Reveal to me why. And not only just reveal to me why, lead me in your everlasting way. Lead me out of this. Lord, search me and, and show me why am I so anxious to have that conversation with that person? 
Why do I feel anxiety every time that person walks into the room? Awkwardness. Search me. What is that about? And show me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, search me and show me. Why have I been comparing myself so much to others? Search me. What is it about that every time I see someone else's life, I, I compare and, and, and there's something in me that I just go into self-hatred? Search me. What is, Lord, what is that about? Search me and show me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, why, why was I so hurt by what that person said? What, why did that person's a statement trigger me so deeply? Or said this way, why was there such a disproportionate response to the event that took place? We've all experienced that one time or another. Maybe, maybe you, had, you had plans with someone, dinner maybe, and someone says, you know what, I, I just have to, I, I have to cancel. I'm sorry, I have to cancel on. And something rises up inside you. How dare you cancel on me? Who do you think you are canceling on me? And the person's like, oh, yeah. And, and, and something rises up inside of you, whether you articulate it or whether you hold it inside of you. Really, the, the issue is not that issue. There, there is something beneath the surface. Some rejection, maybe, that you are still holding on to that God wants to set you free from. Every time there's a disproportionate response to an event, it's a good opportunity to say, search me. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test and, and see my anxious thoughts. See if there's anything offensive in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And here's the promise of this text. Whenever we begin to engage in this kind of introspection and this kind of reflection, God says, I will lead you in the way everlasting. I will go with you and I will take you through it and I will lead you into wholeness, into freedom, into the everlasting way. So I wanna invite, invite the worship team to come forward and I wanna give us a moment to ask God to search us today. to ask God, Lord, show me what I need to see today. Not with some kind of morbid introspection, but in a way that longs for liberation to be formed into the image of Christ. So I want to give you a moment, just to close your eyes for a moment. And maybe uh, the questions or the recommendations here on the screen, maybe it gives a uh, voice to what you're feeling right now. Or maybe there's something else that happened. Maybe you've been ruminating on something. Something you've been, you can't shake it. You've been thinking about it over and over again. But you've never asked God to search you about it. You've been holding on to uneasy. And today's an opportunity to say, search me. And this week is an opportunity to say, search me. And so let's take, let's take a moment of just stillness and silence between you and God, asking him to search us. And we'll close our time in uh, some singing and worship together. But let's pause for a moment.
Amen. Let's all stand together, and um, we can put that prayer on the screen. I want us to just pray it again, um, and then we'll go into our, our song of worship together. May this prayer articulate the longing of our soul for God to show us what he sees under the fountain of grace. So let's, let's pray it one more time together. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let's sing together. Amen. Amen. And so we can look within it and pray this prayer because of the immense love of God for us. No fear of shame. He wants to set us free. As we close our service, I want to invite our prayer team to come to my right. We have the Lord's table to my left. And some of you might uh, be in a dark place, a challenging season right now, and just need someone to pray with you and pray for you. And this is why we close every gathering with prayer. If you'd like to do that, you can line up on the side here and go in this direction. If you'd like to receive uh, the bread and the cup, uh, the, tr the truth is when we pray, God, search me, there's a lot of stuff that's going to come up, our faults, our sins. And we take bread and dip it in the cup. We're reminded that Jesus Christ loves you. He forgives you. And every week we take bread and dip it in the cup. This is the, the extent to which he demonstrated his love for you. He dies for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe you've been in your own abyss, Christ wants to rescue you from your abyss today. And we have a prayer team that would love to pray with you and for you to help you, as Sai did earlier today, demonstrate to us what it means to have a transforming relationship with Jesus. As we close the service, the, the newcomer dinner is going to be right through those doors there and one, up, one flight of stairs. So I look forward to seeing you in there and uh, enjoying a meal with you. Uh, but as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And if you're new here, we close every gathering like this because this is the posture of the Christian life. We cannot give what we have not received. And so we're here to receive blessings so that we can be a blessing to the world around us. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit with the courage to say like David did, search me, God, and know me. Know my heart and test my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And as you pray that prayer, may you experience the transformative power of God. May you walk in the way everlasting. And so I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless everybody.